following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Well, we're carrying on this morning in the book of First Peter, and we're over halfway through this book now. We're making good progress. Uh, we started the book before lockdown, and Lord willing, we'll finish it after lockdown. We'll see how that goes. Uh, just as we get started this morning, I recorded a separate short message on a couple of verses in this passage that we're looking at this morning, uh, because Peter goes into this really interesting issue in verses 18 through 20, uh, which have to do with Jesus after he had died, uh, what happened then between that time on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and this reference to Jesus preaching to the spirits in prison and this kind of stuff, which raises all sorts of questions and is really theologically interesting. So I don't have time to deal with that passage this morning, but if you are a theology geek uh, or you just want to dive a bit deeper into that, I've got a short talk, uh, a video that's up on YouTube. It'll be there by the end of the service, and uh, you can have a look at that. As we come to this passage, though, this morning in 1 Peter chapter 3, I want to just draw us back again to this, this central theme that we've been looking at through this series, the idea of exiles. And you remember that a couple of times in this book, Peter describes uh, these, these Christians he's writing to as exiles, not because they are political exiles or geographic exiles, but because they're spiritual exiles, which means that even though they're residing in whatever cities they live in within Asia Minor, they are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that's where they belong. And so they need to figure out how to live out this identity being in the world uh, and yet belonging to the kingdom of heaven. And in the same way, you and I today, as followers of Jesus, we are spiritual exiles. We live in Auckland, New Zealand, wherever we live, uh, but we belong to, we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so we have this dual citizenship and we need to figure out how to live out that identity. One of the things that, that Peter is addressing in this passage is that when you live as a spiritual exile, it's not uncommon to experience hostility from the culture around you. That was certainly true of the Christians that he was writing to. And several times in this passage, Peter talks about these Christians suffering and the reality of their suffering. Uh, because these Christians would refuse to participate in a bunch of things that people around them would be doing within these cities. They wouldn't worship the gods of the, the Greeks, the Romans. They wouldn't worship the gods of the emperor. Emperor worship was a huge thing as well. Uh, they wouldn't participate in some of the civic festivals where gods were worshipped. They wouldn't belong to trade associations where gods were worshipped. They wouldn't have household gods in their homes. They wouldn't do these things that were just part of life within the Roman Empire. And because they refused those practices, they were often looked at with suspicion. Uh, they were criticized. They were insulted. And Christians were often seen as a pretty negative force and a negative influence within society. And when you translate that into our context today, you can see similarities and you can see differences as well. Uh, Christians today, we live within a world where there is persecution that goes on in some parts of the world against Christians. Certainly, when you think about places at the moment like Afghanistan, that's absolutely true. Uh, and, and Christians over there are suffering massively. Uh, closer to home, though, in New Zealand uh, and in Western contexts, we don't tend to face the same kind of overt persecution and suffering for our faith. But there is still a social cost that goes along with being a Christian, because in our context, we live in such a secular society. And so for different reasons, Christians tend to be marginalized 
and Christianity pushed aside and pushed out of the public sphere. And in our secular context, Christianity tends to be seen at best as being irrelevant, at worst as being a destructive and damaging force in society. Christianity is sometimes portrayed as the enemy of science, the enemy of education, the enemy of progress, the enemy of enlightenment, uh, and, and all of these things. And Christians can be looked at with suspicion. Uh, on a day-to-day -day level, you probably don't experience much of that. People are perfectly pleasant most of the time towards Christians. But we live within a culture that is and can be generally hostile and antagonistic towards the Christian faith because it is so heavily secularized. So the question then becomes, in this sort of social context, what should be our response to the world that we live in? How do we posture ourselves in relation to the world? That's really the question that Peter is addressing for these Christians is, how do we live out our faith well, and how do we engage in this world that can often be hostile towards our faith? And there are a couple of specific things that Peter tells these Christians they ought to be doing, which apply just as much to our lives today. And I want to walk you through these this morning. The first is really simple, almost so simple it doesn't seem like it needs mentioning, but it's this, do good. It's such a simple phrase, it, it sounds like a very bland phrase, but Peter comes back and uses that phrase four times in this passage, uh, or with similar wording, the idea of doing good. Doing good. I'll give you just uh, one example of this in verse 13. He says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do what is good? And this idea of doing good, if you, if you pull back from just this one passage, Peter gives very similar instructions elsewhere in the letter. He encourages these Christians to do good, to live good lives among the pagans and so on. It's quite a motif that Peter carries throughout the letter. And the idea of doing good, it's not just generic good deeds. It's not just living a good Christian life. When Peter encourages these Christians to do good works or live good lives, He's got his eye on the way in which we act towards the world. So this is doing good towards those outside of the church. That's really what Peter's focused on here. He certainly wants to encourage us to do good to one another as well. And there's, there's parts in 1 Peter that encourage that. But when he talks about doing good, he's primarily thinking of the way in which we conduct ourselves towards outsiders, towards those who don't share our faith. And he's saying, even in a hostile culture, even in a world that's really got no time for the Christian faith, at all, and even when we may be attacked or, or insulted because of our faith, we are not to respond in the same way. We are to respond in the opposite spirit. Not, not to repay insult with insult, but with a blessing, as Peter says. To seek peace, to pursue uh, goodness towards others, uh, no matter whether or not that's reciprocated, and no matter how that goes down. Our posture toward the world should be that of doing good towards others, being a blessing towards those outside the church. Now, obviously, this instruction that Peter gave to these Christians was taken and it was put into effect, and history bears that out. If you, if you trace the history of the early Christian movement, clearly people took what Peter is saying here quite seriously. Because there, there are many instances of Christians in the early church doing exactly this, doing good towards others. And I'll give you just one example that's particularly relevant to the times we're living in at the moment with COVID. Uh, you know how we hear all the time that this is an unprecedented pandemic and, and that word unprecedented has become cliche now. Uh, and in one sense, yes, 
COVID-19 COVID is unprecedented in its global reach, but in another sense, there have been multiple pandemics and plagues that have swept through different parts of the world through history. And if you look at the history of the Roman Empire, there, there were many times when plagues, pandemics would sweep through the Roman Empire and, uh, and cause massive loss of life. Uh, in fact, about 100 years after Peter is writing this epistle, about the middle of the second century, a huge plague swept through the Roman Empire. Uh, and then about another 100 years after that, another massive plague came through the empire. And it's estimated in those times that uh, just in the city of Rome itself, you could have thousands of people a day dying from those plagues. Because, of course, people didn't know anything about wearing masks and social distancing and MIQ facilities. And you know they knew much less about medicine, the way viruses work, all of these sorts of things. And so people were incredibly susceptible. And these plagues wiped out many, many lives. One of the things people would do when these, when these plagues came through the empire is they would practice like an extreme form of social distancing by leaving their towns, leaving their cities. If they could, if they had the means to do that, people would flee and they would go try to live in some other town for a while. But one of the interesting things that emerged during that time is that Christians developed a reputation for doing the opposite. And there are accounts of Christians who would go into these towns and into these cities where the plagues were ravaging the population and they would care for the sick and they would care for the dying. Let me read you uh, one account of the way that Christians did this, which comes to us from a writer named Dionysius, uh, writing in the middle of the third century. He says, Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. Many, in nursing and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead, in every way the equal of martyrdom. So you can, you can hear what he's saying there, that you have these Christians who would care for the dying and they would contract the disease and many of them lost their own lives because of that. Now, in case it needs qualifying, I am not saying that we should all move into the Jet Park Hotel and start caring for COVID patients. No, we should absolutely observe the social restrictions that are in place. But I am saying that there is a principle here, and there's a principle in 1 Peter, that calls Christians to step up in times like this. And, and history bears this out. We, we have a whole tradition, a whole history, of Christians stepping up in times of huge social need and embodying the presence of Jesus to people around them in, in creative ways, in helpful ways, and in ways that express doing good, as Peter calls us to do here. And of course, you might think now, well, how do I do this? You know, it's, we're in lockdown. I'm, in, I'm just at home. I, I can't get out there and do good at all. There are still ways that we can do good at the moment. Uh, let, me, let me share with you a story of a woman in our church, Molly, who has found a way of doing good in the middle of lockdown. Here's Molly's story. Kia ora church. Uh, my name is Molly. I work for Student Life, which is a university a Christian ministry. Now in Student Life, we really focus on sharing the gospel with students um, and training, equipping and discipling students so that they know how to share their faith with others as well. Um, obviously, that's been something that's been a little tricky during lockdown. Um, we can't walk up to people and have conversations on campus as we usually would. Um, and so one of the ways that we've been uh, seeking to serve our community has been uh, by doing grocery delivery drops. 
now I got thinking about this because one of my colleagues uh, had to self-isolate at the start of lockdown um, and it was really uh, encouraging to see the staff family and her church family come around her um, and deliver the groceries and medicine that um, her and her family needed while having to stay inside. Um, and it got me thinking, man, I wonder what that's like for people that don't have family in Auckland or they don't have church support or maybe they're not friends with their neighbours. Um, if they're having to self-isolate, how are they surviving? How are they getting what they need? Um, and so we set up a partnership with the Student Volunteer Army um, and together uh, people who need, need their groceries delivered. So if they're aged or if they have health vulnerabilities or they're having to self-isolate, uh, they can either call through to the Student Volunteer Army um, like uh, helpline uh, or they can order their groceries online. From there, one of the volunteers uh, will take that grocery list, go to the supermarket, pick up the things that they need um, and deliver it to their door. Uh, so we've had a whole bunch of our students, um, as well as family and friends and um, other people in the community uh, jumping in on that. Um, and it's been a really, really great way to um, build relationships and build rapport with the people around us. Um, and also just to serve the community in a really practical way. Um, I think it's quite easy for us to feel uh, pretty helpless and pretty out of control during lockdown. And especially if we're stuck inside, not able to do a whole lot. Um, so this has been a really cool, practical way for us to show God's love to the community around us. Hope that's an encouragement to you. God bless you guys. So that's a great example of doing good to those around you. What Molly is doing, what she's mobilizing these students to do is exactly what First Peter is talking about here, doing good to others. And uh, the way in which we're encouraging you to nominate someone to receive a supermarket voucher from the Relief Fund, it's along the same lines. That is also an expression of doing good doing good deeds towards others. It's a demonstration of the love of God to those in our community. So there are ways of doing this. And of course, you can do good towards others without even leaving your home. I mean, you, you may know someone who could just do with a phone call at the moment, just simply through encouraging somebody, messaging them, let, letting them know that, that you're thinking of them, uh, having some conversation, just, just encouraging and cheering them up. That can go an awfully long way if someone is struggling a bit, and that is also an expression of doing good. So let's think of the ways, even during lockdown, that we can be a positive presence towards those in our community and be about the work of doing good. Isn't that the reputation Christians should have? Shouldn't we be known as those who do good? Like Christians can unfortunately be known for all kinds of bad things sometimes, but the reputation of the church should be those who are committed to doing good and to be known for our good deeds. So think practically and specifically about ways in which you might be able to do good towards those around you in this lockdown season. So then there's a second way in which Peter encourages us to posture our hearts towards the world. And we could describe this simply as speaking up. So he's talked about doing good, that's, that's the action side. And then speaking up, that's the words that need to accompany our actions. And he covers this in verse 15, where he says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, the, the word that Peter uses in this verse is the Greek word apologia. Uh, and that word is where we get the word apologetics. It simply means to give a defense of our faith or to give a reason for what we believe. 
And uh, that, when you think of apologetics, when you think of apologists, uh, you might think of well-known apologists like William Lane Craig, you might think of Josh McDowell, these people that debate prominent atheists and write books and so on. These are kind of the big names. And we can easily think, oh, well, those people are, that, that's apologetics. But that's not for me. That's, that's not where I'm at. But 1 Peter 3.15 is really clear that all of us are called to be amateur apologists. Uh, that doesn't mean that you have to be an expert. It, it doesn't mean that you're called to have all of the answers to every single question. But it does mean that we are called to be prepared and that we're called to be prepared to, to defend our faith and have intelligent conversations with other people. Now, I want to encourage you to take a step in this direction during lockdown. I know some of you have got a bit more time on your hands at the moment during lockdown. Not all of you. I know some of you have got less time. But if, if you have a bit of time, I'd encourage you to upskill yourself a little bit in apologetics. One great way of doing this, there's an organization in New Zealand called Thinking Matters. Uh, it's really one of the, the key organizations here that resources Christians to be able to defend their faith. Uh, they've got a great website, and you can visit that website. It's on screen now, and on their site, they've got a whole lot of great articles that you can read on a range of topics to do with apologetics and the Christian worldview. I would encourage you to find one article on a topic that interests you, uh, it might be something on the existence of God, it might be something on the identity of Jesus, or the historical reliability of the Bible, whatever it is, find one article and read that article and upskill yourself in that, in that one area. Just set yourself that challenge over lockdown. And as you do that, a couple of things will happen. First of all, you will gain the confidence in what you believe. You see, so many Christians, they just live in unexamined faith. So they've never really questioned or ask themselves why they believe what they believe. You know, it's just like, well, I, I believe this because someone in church told me once, or my parents told me, whatever it is. But it's good to question what we believe. It's good to ask ourselves, what, what do I really think about these things? And what, what is the foundation of what I believe? Is, is it a reasonable view, for example, to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Is that a reasonable position to hold? Is, where is the evidence for that? It's a good question. And the answers are there. The, the Thinking Matters website is a good place to start. So as, as you look into these things, you gain a sense of confidence in what you believe. You, you have more of an examined faith. And then, of course, you equip yourself to be able to have a more intelligent conversation with someone else around these issues. And I, I want to encourage some of you to make this lockdown season a season of growth in this area of apologetics. Use the time you've got. Look into these things for yourself. I know that you might not be having as many conversations with people uh, right now around these issues, although maybe you are on social media or whatever it is, but use the time you've got to dig a deeper foundation, answer some of those questions that maybe you're not quite sure of the answers, build your knowledge base in a particular area, come to a deeper understanding of the Christian worldview, so that when those opportunities next present themselves, you're ready and you can step into those moments with greater confidence. The other dimension of this, of course, that is so important, and Peter mentions this at the end of that verse 15, he says, but do this with gentleness and respect. It's so important because this, this area of apologetics is, is not an excuse for us just to try and have these kind of mic drop moments with people where we just drop some one-liner on them and boom, you know, we've got them. It's not about these gotcha lines. It's not about winning arguments. It's not about trying to look like a hero. It's simply about having 
intelligent conversations. It's about the dialogue. So don't come at this with a sense of arrogance. Don't go into these conversations just trying to win an argument. We need to have, as we engage with other people about our faith, we really need to have a posture of humility. We need to check ourselves about this. We need to have gentleness towards those we engage in. We need to treat them with respect, is what Peter says. And that means being prepared to listen. You know, if, we, if we're wanting people to give us the time of day and listen to us, then we need to be prepared to listen to them. Even if you don't agree with what they're saying, do people the dignity of listening to them, asking them some questions, hearing their story, drawing them out, showing sincerity, and maybe, just maybe, you'll get a greater hearing for what you want to say if you're prepared to listen to them. So be mindful of that posture Peter calls you to have. Gentleness, respect, humility, as we engage in conversation with other people. Well, as we draw this to a close, one thing that Peter is really clear on is that no matter how much we do good, and no matter how much we speak up, some people are still going to be hostile and still going to be antagonistic towards the Christian faith. He says in verse 13, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good, but even if you should suffer for what is right? You are blessed. So in other words, Peter's not naive. He's not saying if you do these things, everything's going to be great and everyone's going to love you. No, sometimes they won't because the world is still in darkness. Sometimes people are not going to... We, we can do all the good that we're able to do. Sometimes people are still going to criticize. Sometimes people are, are still going to get a question. We can speak up about our faith and sometimes it won't be well received. That, that's, that's just the reality and that shouldn't surprise us. Because the world is in darkness and it doesn't understand, it doesn't comprehend the light. And so, yes, we still live in a hostile culture. And yes, the world is still going to be the world. But what Peter tells us is that we don't need to be afraid. He says, do not fear what they fear and do not be frightened. We don't have to be worried as we step out in faith and do good and speak up. We don't need to fear. We don't need to be intimidated by the secular culture that we live in. Sometimes Christians, I think, become so, so afraid of, of the dominant culture around us. We don't need to be afraid because Jesus has overcome the world. Because Jesus has lived and died and risen and is coming again and he is ruling even now as king and lord over all. He's defeated the evil one. He's established his kingdom and the world is in his hands. You don't need to be afraid. Don't worry about what the people around you may think or how your actions might be perceived when you're doing good and when you're lovingly and graciously speaking up for your faith. You are in the will of God and you are fulfilling the posture that God wants you to have towards the culture around you. So I encourage you, even this week, to think about what it looks like for you to do good, to genuinely show love and action towards those around you, and prepare yourself for that place of speaking up and speaking out by building your own knowledge base on some of these issues and preparing yourself for those courageous conversations. As we prepare ourselves for this task, as we engage in this work, we are glorifying God and we are showing the gospel to the world that desperately needs to hear it. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we hear the challenge of your word this morning. We hear the call to do good and to speak up. Jesus, we want to love each other well, but we hear this challenge to, to face outward towards the world. And as much as we're able to, to love others with the same love that you've loved us. Lord, help us be aware of those moments. 
when we can say something, say a word about our faith, say a word about our story, say a word about you, and help us to be aware of those opportunities, Lord, that are coming across our path even now to do good, to show love, to serve others practically and meaningfully. Lord Jesus, help us not to do this in a way that's just tokenized or out of a sense of guilt or obligation, but out of the abundance of gratitude we have for all that you have done for us. Thank you, Jesus, for the good you've done in our lives. Help us to be about the work of doing good in the lives of others. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us this morning for our online service. I hope this has helped you connect to our church family and been an encouragement to you. As we finish our service this morning, I'm just going to lead us into a time of communion. And this is something that we do whether we're in person or whether we're online. It's sure encouraging one another and taking the Lord's Supper together to remember the body and blood of Jesus given for us. So I'm going to read a passage from the Gospel of Mark this morning, from Mark chapter 14. And then I'll pray and I'll leave you to take the elements then either on your own or with those in your bubble. So just make sure that you've got some elements prepared there, some bread and juice or things like that. And you can take communion after I've prayed. So Mark 14, starting in verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we pause at the end of our service this morning to give you thanks. We're grateful for your life, your death, your resurrection. And we thank you particularly now for your body that was broken for us, for your blood that was shed for us, Jesus for your willingness to suffer and die so that we could have life and forgiveness and become part of your family. Jesus, you have been so good to us and we are truly grateful. And as we take this meal, we thank you that we're part of a family who around the world are still in one way or other taking the Lord's Supper together today, remembering that ultimately there is one cup and there is one loaf that binds us together as your church, as the community of those who are united to you in your death and resurrection. So we're nourished again, Jesus, this morning by your grace and by your incredible mercy for us. And we pray that as we receive these elements this morning, you'd fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit so that we might serve you in the week ahead. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.